Hello everyone and welcome to episode 8 of DataOak e-commerce podcast. Today Pratik and I have a very special guest, Walid Shazad from Hype. Walid, how's it going? I'm awesome, <laughs> how are you? We're good, thanks. Uh, you're in LA right now? I'm in Toronto, in Canada. In Canada, you're back in Canada, okay. Pat, how's it going on your side? Uh, n- not too bad. Uh, how's it going for you? Because, you know, I, I know you've got two kids. So h- how are you holding on to your sanity, Rafa? <laughs> uh, it's okay. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's quite hard working from home. But uh, just for the record, I, I haven't seen Pat. So at Data Oak, we work uh, remotely for uh, more than a month and a half now. So I haven't yeah. seen you. So you're still alive. I'm very happy. Well, yeah, I, I got a little taste of uh, prison life. Uh, you know, working from home. <laughs> but but this, is, this is not the first time I got that taste. The first time I got a taste of prison life was uh, when I ate uh, frozen pad thai noodles. <laughs> thanks for thanks for that. Well, we're, we're very excited to to have to have you, Walid, on the show today. Uh, Shiphype is a prep center and a full three PL third party logistic company. So it's going to be very very exciting to learn more about what you guys are doing and and how prep center can help sellers. Uh, but before we dive into all of that, Walid, maybe you just want to give us a little bit on your background and how you got started in, into this space. Yeah, for sure. So this is actually my third business at Shiphype, right? Before this, I was I had a cell phone parts wholesale company, and it was I started it from Toronto, and eventually uh, I expanded over to the states to grow that business because in that previous business, ninety percent of my clients were actually in the states, right? Yeah. So it made a lot of sense for me to move over, and uh, I moved to California, and at that time, uh, I was actually looking for a fulfillment center to grow that business before moving myself, right? Mm-hmm. And because of the nature of that business, we had about 10,000 different SKUs. It was really hard to actually find a fulfillment center that could accommodate that because, you know, 10,000 SKUs, they when, traditionally, um, well, even right now, a lot of fulfillment centers want a product that's moving fast, right? Something that's coming in, something that's coming out really quickly. Right. And when you have 10,000 SKUs, not all of them are best sellers, right? You may have like 50 that are best sellers, but... And those are the products that they want to keep. But for a business like mine, right, it was cell phone parts wholesale. And you really have to carry everything. And no fulfillment center at the time was able to accommodate me. So I had to actually move down to California. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know a single person uh, when I moved there. And <laughs> it's, it's way tougher that even though, you know, the language and uh, the, the culture, everything is very yeah. similar right? in Canada yeah. to the U.S. But logistically, there's still a lot of problems. It, it starts all the way from getting a social security number all the way to finding <laughs> warehouse space and all of these things are tied but i faced these problems a lot of them when i when i was you know in the process of expanding my business to the states and uh, at that time i didn't think i was going to start a fulfillment center or a prep center mm-hmm. but it was just i i realized like that there's a real need for it right and yeah, even though yeah. they did exist it's not like the solutions fit the current landscape and it might be because a lot of the fulfillment centers you know are businesses that have been established for like 30 40 years and yeah. they're actually very large businesses right mm-hmm. a lot of them are geared towards enterprise level and large corporations but a business like mine which is a startup and mo- mostly an e-commerce fulfillment rather than you know doing large-scale warehousing or distribution so maybe for that reason they didn't exist but i always thought about it right and you know, as a business person, you're always thinking about different models, yeah. different, different business models. One of the ones that appealed to me. And eventually I went and sold that last business and uh, I thought about, okay, what I wanted to do next. And fulfillment center was the best, was, was right in front of me, right? Because I did yeah. this 
in my previous business, we were essentially fulfilling orders for ourselves. It, it was just internal fulfillment. And I said, okay, why not do this for other people? There's a lot of international businesses who want to sell in the States and Canada because these are huge markets, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's just so much demand for it. And with the e-commerce space just growing, right? It's not oh, like yeah. <laughs> the market I mean, of... Uh, Wally, fulfillment's like all the rage now, you know, with Amazon expanding their footprint, you know, I think they they increased their fulfillment capacity by like 50% this year, if I'm not mistaken, you know, and, and they're now looking to sort of convert all these malls into fulfillment centers. It's it's a very hot topic right now. <laughs> For sure. They're not able to keep up with the demand, right? And then oh, yeah. <laughs> with, with COVID, right, oh, yeah. And, yeah. That the catalyst and really put it through the roof and it's not with with e-commerce in general, right? Even before COVID, it, it was just, it's not like the market was a Blu-ray DVD player market where they're <laughs> just going down every day, right? There's thousands yeah. of new businesses oh, yeah. opening up every single day. So yeah. it's yeah. basically aligned with the growth and it just put me in a position where I could do it. And especially I, me being so lucky that I had a warehouse in US and a warehouse in Canada, I could mm-hmm. help get into both markets and even U.S. brands trying to get into Canada and Canadian brands trying to go into the U.S. And that's essentially how ShipHive got started. Nice. Why, why California? Just quick question. Why? Yeah, interesting. Initially, when in my previous business, right, I had few markets that I could have moved to. It was an online business, so it didn't really matter where yeah. exactly I was in the States. I had the option of Texas, New York, California, and Florida, mm-hmm. right? I picked California because the weather was great. <laughs> I had heard so many good things about California. <laughs> Those, and honestly, like, it's more expensive to live there than a lot of other places. But yeah. I'm so happy I did. And now it's really help, helping me. I got still really lucky because, as you know, the Long Beach port, right? Anything that comes from Asia mm-hmm. actually goes to Long Beach port first. Right. And we're actually, our warehouse is actually in Long Beach. I'm just really lucky. That's cool. So... Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what, what is actually uh, ShipHype and what does it deliver as value to, to, the, to its customer? Yeah, ShipHype is a fulfillment center. So we store and ship products on behalf of other businesses. Let's say someone has a successful business, whether it's overseas, even if it's not successful, let's say it's a brand new startup, right? And they're looking, for, they're looking to outsource the fulfillment side, which means picking and packing orders. Mm-hmm. and shipping it out directly to the customers, they can outsource it over to us, right? A lot of businesses, there's there's so much more, so much that goes into a business from product development to finding customers mm-hmm. to branding. Just There's just a plethora of things, accounting and then all that administrative stuff. Something like fulfillment is the most simplest, right? In terms of there's very little learning. Yeah, what, yeah. Well, how much can you really learn, right? You can't, after 20 hours, of experience <laughs> you've mapped out everything you know yeah. about it's just a manual job. thing it's just a manual job that needs to be done yeah and the worst part is it takes up the most time if yeah. you have 50 orders a day right that means you have to spend eight hours to actually pack and process those you yeah. literally have time for nothing else and yeah. uh, a lot of businesses who are growing and expanding they realize they're running out of time they turn to a service like ours to help ship the orders Walid, how how automated are you guys? So, you know, I know that Amazon uses, you know, all these Kiva robots and other kinds of robots sort of pick pack and, you know, uh, pick pack items. Are are you guys automated or are you you guys sort of, you know, in that stage where you're looking to automate? Where are you guys in that journey? No, we're not at that stage, definitely. Mm -hmm. 
Um, mm-hmm. We're actually a pretty small company compared to a lot sure. of the fulfillment centers, right? Sure, sure. We don't have the technology or the capability sure. to get onto that level of robotics. Maybe if sure. you know we had a hundred thousand square foot warehouse, it would make sense. <laughs> but right now, it, right. it doesn't. Right. Okay. We just end up uh, we we uh, we print a packing slip, and that packing slip basically has the order where the items are located. It's just essentially. Where the robot is going, a human being is going. Right? <laughs> do, do, do you guys also do the prep work? I mean, because I know that, you know, if anyone wants to send anything to Amazon, there's sort of like a laundry list of things to be done. You know, the UPC code label the or the FNSQ, you know, the sold as a set, the poly bagging, the suffocation label. It's it's a huge list of things. Yeah, we do all of the above. So starting from oh, receiving, wow. receiving to storage to putting on FNSQ labeling, polybagging items, bundling them. And sometimes, you know, <laughs> there's returns that people get and they want us to repackage the product. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Put on brand new SKUs. Or some people actually, well, I would say most of the clients, right? We we tell them to get the labeling done from their manufacturer because yeah, it's going to be yeah. way cheaper to get it done overseas, right? Than paying someone in the States. Yeah. But we can drip the inventory in for them. So we store their goods in MasterCard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. as they sell the inventory on Amazon, we replenish mm-hmm. it and drip it back into Amazon's warehouses. Well, Waleed, that, that brings me to a question. You know how you just mentioned that, that suppliers or the manufacturers are preferred. Uh, you know, I mean, you would rather that they do the labeling or, you know, the prep work. So, you, you know, I mean, I, I used to work for a retailer, right, in uh, in America. And shipping was about 12% of our cost. So it made sense for us to at least, you know, just have the suppliers or the manufacturers, you know, uh, do the prep work and the labeling. Because if we were to ship it to a third part, a 3PL, you know, there's a shipping cost there. And then if they do the labeling and then we ship the items from them to Amazon, there's there's another, you know, sort of uh, 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 layer of cost. So, I mean, does does my question is 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 it does it make sense to sort of even use a three PL at all in in this case for prepping and labeling? Oh yeah, hundred percent, right. And let me explain. Let me just clarify what I exactly meant by that. So I don't. Uh, it's not. It's not that we. It's not that it's going to add additional shipping costs if okay. they are having us do the prepping. It's just going to add more labor costs, right? And we actually make more money if people have us do the prepping, right? But mm-hmm. I, let's say they're paying us 40 cents per unit to the, mm-hmm. to the, to the prepping. My mm-hmm. recommendation just to provide value to anybody who's listening is if you can get that for free, right? Why do you mm-hmm. pay the 40 cents, right? Exactly. So exactly. Have your supplier do it. It's not going to add anything to your shipping costs because you are going to have to ship it to us no matter what. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. 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 Especially if you're shipping, you know, thousands of pieces. Uh, a month on Amazon, right? Well, a lot of sellers are selling more than a thousand. Oh yeah, That's yeah. Forty yeah. cents a unit. It really adds up. You can put that money somewhere else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I know this from experience. You know, it's a it's a you know the, the margins are razor slim uh, in this game. You know, so yeah, even those those forty cents can make a, a big difference. You know, if you're doing a, a million orders annually, right? Yeah, that's a lot of <laughs> So, uh, you, you know, uh, Waleed, you mentioned overseas at some point of time. So um, my question is, is is 3PL or using a 3PL service better for, let's say, an American uh, seller or mostly for, let's say, international sellers? Uh, because, you know, the, the dynamics are very different for, for, the, for the two kinds of sellers. Yeah, it's, a, it's a kind of a requirement for both at this point, right? But... Uh, there's different reasons why an international person uses versus a domestic mm-hmm. okay. one in the state. So for an international person, right, they 
they don't have an actual warehouse here. So every time they want to ship inventory to Amazon, they have mm-hmm. to ship a large quantity, right? Yeah. And now with Amazon's restrictions and the IPI, they're not able to ship large quantities. So yeah. they have to use a fulfillment center. Makes sense. So yeah. they can put it, push inventory in. Now, somebody who is in the States, right? A lot of Amazon sellers are actually have part have actually full-time jobs. And Amazon yeah. is exactly their full-time thing. And, <laughs> and they got to receive uh, shipments from their supplier, right? Where are they going to receive it to their house? They don't have a loading dock at their house. And the delivery <laughs> hours are the same as their working hours, right? Uh-huh. And uh, once you get to a volume, it's not worth it. And also, like I mentioned, right? It's one of the th- things that take up the most time. So one thing you could do is hire staff and have some somebody else do it for you to save time. But yeah. when you hire staff, you also have to manage staff, right? So it's yeah. way easier to just hire a prep center and you don't have to worry about getting your warehouse space of your own, right? Absolutely. You don't have to worry about working out of your house. Absolutely. You don't have to worry about people breaking into your house. Because, right? <laughs> and, and not to mention, Walid, you know, if, if you're a retailer and, you know, if, if you're running this business, um, you know, if you hire one person, just one person in America to do your picking, packing, whatever, it's going to cost you, what, between thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 annually, you know, and then basically that becomes sort of like a fixed cost, right? Whereas if you outsource a function to, to a 3PL, then you're sort of able, then they're able to, you know, sort of distribute the cost and maybe charge you a per package labeling cost or prep cost, as opposed to you having to pay 30,000 flat out. That, that's actually a very good point. And uh, with the prep center, right, they have, optimized, they have optimized all the processes. With, right. If you have one person doing everything, it's going to be slower to do and it's going to cost you more per unit. Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. And not to mention, you know, you can have different kinds of packages, right? Because I, I know this, that, you know, that, that certain 3PLs will charge you, let's say, a per, a, per, a per unit cost or certain 3PLs will charge you by the size of the package. So, you know, the, 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 you can choose from different pro, uh, plans, you know, right? Uh, yeah. So everybody uh, like in prep centers, there's about 200 plus prep centers. Right. And pretty much every, there's no set uh, criteria of how they charge price. Everybody has their own way of the, how they are charging the customer. Some people actually charge a monthly fee mm-hmm. right? Some people charge per unit and our company, we charge by the service. So let's say you just need storage, then you'll only pay storage. And if okay. you only need case boarding, you'll only pay for that. And I think okay. the reason why everybody is just so different and it's so confusing is because prep centers, right? The industry is still pretty new. I think we'll see in two to three years, everybody align into, uh, into a price format that is the most efficient, makes because it has to be easy for the customers. And that's ultimately what's going to dictate, right? how people end up pricing or whoever ends up becoming the top leader of the market. A lot of people start <laughs> copying their price uh, price structures and that'll sure. open the standard. Sure. Would, you, would, you, would you say that 3PL is better for a, a small or large item? Uh, what would you say? Or, or food, you know, food. For or that food. Item. Or is there any specific type of item that, that is yeah, yeah. better to use 3PL? So uh, number one, if your item is hazardous, you definitely want to use a 3PL, right? You don't want to put it yourself at risk. <laughs> like chemicals and that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, of course. You don't want to be living and breathing that, right? <laughs> that, I think repeals are key for any other business, right? Like, well, I can't say key because there are ways to make your business work without hiring mm-hmm. a repeal, but it would just be fulfilling internally. But it works for all sizes, right? And there are solutions now uh, to accommodate. The only time it gets tricky is if you have so many SKUs. And then like the amount of fulfillment centers or three PLs available to you, it's a very small, uh, very small number that you can sure, reach out. Sure. 
Uh, uh, Walid, one question here. So, you know, uh, during COVID uh, earlier in the year, Amazon sort of, um, uh, stop, uh, you know, uh, stopped accepting inventory, you know, or at least they, they reduced the amount of inventory they were receiving in the FBA centers and stuff. Did that boost your business? Because did you suddenly experience, you know, a, a boost in volumes because suddenly people couldn't send stuff directly to Amazon. So maybe they were using your service to fulfill orders. Oh, 100%, right? And, you know, a lot of people have nightmare stories that they call. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a couple, please. <laughs> Not only did Amazon put this restriction on sending more items, so people who actually had goods in Amazon, they told everybody to remove those as well. Really? Right? Yeah, exactly. Wow. And now everybody in the States and Canada who are selling on Amazon.com or Amazon.ca, they have their own address, right? At least right. to fall back on and they can say, hey, ship my stuff here. But right. International sellers, man, they don't have an address to, sh to give to Amazon. So they absolutely need a prep center. And when Amazon came out with this, right, FBA removals weren't exactly something a lot of prep centers supported either because mm -hmm. it was just, uh, you know, it was just a very small part of the business where mm -hmm. removals wasn't exactly uh, maybe like 5% of the business for uh, prep centers. And now all of a sudden, everybody's calling them for FBA removals. <laughs> so, a lot of prep centers didn't even support that, right? So it was just crazy, man. A lot of people uh, needed, had a really immediate need, right? And even right now, like I was just speaking to a client and he was telling me he can't sleep at night and all of that because Amazon, Amazon's charging them crazy storage fees. Yeah. And they're telling them to remove. And even though, you know, he found us a solution, it's not like uh, he's not losing money for because he still had to go through, it's not just the price that they're paying, right? It's the time they're losing. And this person mm -hmm. has thousands of units in Amazon. They have to remove it. They're going to lose money on all of it. Because like you mentioned, the margins are slim. And yeah. Something yeah. like that happened, it cuts deep <laughs> into your pockets. Yeah. This is interesting, Wally. Tell me a couple of things here. So, you know, on the one hand, Amazon was trying to push MFN, right? Uh, merchant fulfilled orders uh, a while ago. And then I think now they've stopped accepting MFN applications, right? Why? Because they, they were sort of betting more on, you know, FBA being more efficient than anybody else trying to fulfill their orders on their own. But now COVID has shown that us that, you know, what was Amazon's strength, which was their, um, you know, FBA is also a weakness now because suddenly you're only dependent on Amazon and, you know, uh, they, they sort of, they, they had limited space. So how, how do you see this moving forward? Do you think they'll sort of start accepting MFN applications again? Because they're like, okay, we can't rely only on Amazon, right? Because suddenly when COVID happens, you know, things get, uh, things become a problem. So even right now, you can ship directly to your customer, right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. The only thing is you can't get the Prime badge because that's part of their SFP program. And yeah. I haven't checked recently, but I believe they're not accepting clients on that right now. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I think it's just because they're so busy, right? And they know that if they launch it right now, they're not going to be able to handle the amount of requests that are going to come pouring in. Oh, yeah, yeah. They'll <laughs> probably easily open applications back up maybe next year or maybe the year after that. But I see. Okay. They're really encouraging FBM still, which means they're really encouraging supply sellers. And sellers are now forced to actually ship directly to their customers, right? Because let's say you ship in 200 pieces to Amazon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now you sell out, right? Now right. you got to ship in more inventory to Amazon. But at the same time, because of the IMP, because of the way Amazon works, you don't want to be out of stock, right? Because then they're going to punish you in the right, exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that that sort of uh, kills your organic rankings and all, you know things like that. Yeah. So you still have to 
ship customers that uh, orders directly to customers. Yeah, so you yeah. A solution where even though, so where you you just need to ensure that you're never out of stock, and mm-hmm. uh, sellers understand this now, especially mm-hmm. uh, if they didn't back then. Now they especially do, and Amazon is really pushing for uh, a lot of sellers to get on the FBM side as well. Okay, interesting. But Walid and, and Rafa, have you guys heard uh, about this term called shippergeddon? You know, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, Walid, but uh, uh, you know, I, I listened to this one podcast, the uh, the Scott and. Uh, uh, Jason and Scott show, right? Where Jason is Jason Goldberg, you know, the chief commerce strategy officer from Publicis, and uh, Scott Scott Wingo, the co-founder of um, uh, Channel Advisor, and they bring up this, you know, they, they started this, uh, they, they coined this word called shipageddon, which means that you know how. So basically, fulfillment capacity, and when I say fulfillment, I mean shipping capacity, trucks, you know, uh, vehicles and stuff like that. That's been growing at eight percent per year, which means FedEx, UPS, all these guys. These guys are adding vehicles at about 8% you know, increase every year, whereas e-commerce has been growing at 16% annually. So that's already sort of you know, um, a, a, a gap there, which is why orders get delayed you know, in Q4 and things like that. This year, what you're going to experience is a peak on peak, right? Because already in Q4, there's a peak every year. And this year, because of COVID, you're going to experience a peak on a peak. So they're talking about how a lot of customers aren't going to receive their orders on time and stuff like that. Did you guys, I mean, are you facing any... Uh, you know, uh, shipping-related issues. Uh, is is FedEx, are, are FedEx and UPS still willing to accept all of your packages? How, how was your experience with Cyber 5 in this Q4? We haven't had issues of them not accepting the packages, right? Except for one scenario where UPS decided not to show up one day. Oh, and, really? Oh, jeez. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Why? So, do, <laughs> Why? <laughs> I have no idea. And <laughs> they just didn't show up. Maybe, you know, they missed the... Uh, the schedule of something on their end, right? And we had to actually deliver the packages to a uh, UPS hub. And we actually went to like four different locations to get I, them. I thought, I thought you were going to say you hired some reindeers, got your sleigh on, and you went on <laughs> to deliver packages. <laughs> I, I, I wish, man, but you know, <laughs> inside this COVID. So, only, so only one time that happened. Yeah, so far. And uh, I hope it doesn't happen again. We just... Mm. You know, we were able to talk to uh, the, the account manager, whoever deals with us, to ensure it doesn't happen. And they value us as a client, right? Because mm-hmm. we're giving them a lot of business. Sure. But we had to actually go to multiple hubs to deliver it. And a lot of them were saying, hey, we don't take more than 12 packages from a single client. And they would have never said this if it wasn't for COVID and what you're right. talking about, right? But, you know, what's interesting is um, every single week we have a lot of companies reach out to us. There's a lot of private companies forming now and they're actually doing a great job of bridging that gap. So mm-hmm. these private companies actually operate in larger cities like Toronto, Miami, mm-hmm. Los mm-hmm. Angeles, right? Yeah. Like a lot of the bigger cities because there's a lot of population and it's worth it for them. And mm-hmm. how it works is they'll work with brands who have large volumes and right. they'll right. have their own network of delivery people and nice. they'll make deliveries within the city using their own cars or sorry, their own vans, mm-hmm. whatever is, they have. And Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. It's working both on like a parcel level and a trucking level. And mm, okay. every single week, a brand new company who contacts us. Uh, so, so Walid, are, are, you, are you, I mean, you know, these the small companies that you're talking about, these private companies, you know, which are also delivering orders in the metros and stuff like that. Is, is that something, are they operating in a model which is, let's say, similar to Amazon's DSP program where, you know, Amazon doesn't hire the people themselves. They're working with these contractors who deliver packages on behalf of Amazon. Amazon. So do you think these private companies are operating a similar model? 
yeah, they're operating a very similar model. And it's more profitable for them because Amazon, right? The way Amazon's program is made, I don't think it re- leaves a lot of room for people to make a lot of money. And it's, <laughs> uh, like it might seem like it's something that makes sense, right? But once you account for the initial cost and also the r- operating cost and the administrative stuff, right? People have just formed their own companies and they they get to pick their own customers and. Yeah, it just, uh, they're able to pick their own routes and their own areas, right? Which is way better for them. And uh, they're making it work really nicely. And I think they're doing a good job bridging the gap. We might see an increase in software companies who are able mm-hmm. to facilitate for these private companies and help more companies because there needs to be a, a, to be able to uh, offer service like this and yeah. make it into a proper business. You definitely need really, really good software, right? Absolutely, absolutely. To to sort of keep uh, all sides of the transaction aware of shipping updates, right? You know, where the package is at any point Mm -hmm. of time, you know, whether it's been collected, dropped, whatever it is, right? All of that stuff. Exactly. And create shipping labels and things like that. I will see, I I do see people finding solutions, really good solutions. So even though it's a problem, right, people Mm -hmm. are definitely going to solve it quickly. I'm sure. Uh, so, so Wally, t- tell me something, you know, w- when you guys get packages out of the door, you know, uh, how, how, what percentage of your uh, packages are, let's say, getting delivered by a UPS or a FedEx, you know, the Giants or USPS? And then what percentages are, are you using, uh, you know, these smaller private players for? We're not using any of the smaller ones right now. We are only okay. using uh, the larger UPS. FedEx, okay. DHL, USPS. And in Canada, we also have a few other large companies besides okay. these ones. But okay. right now, the, their software isn't there. That's primarily the main reason. I see. Makes right. sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. And, and Waleed, you know, I mean, today, you know, Amazon's sort of been expanding their fulfillment capacity. I mean, sorry, shipping capacity, right? And they're talking about how by the end of this year, their shipping business will have sort of become bigger than that of FedEx. Right. So are you also using maybe, uh, you know, Amazon's carriers at all? I mean, does Amazon only use their carriers to deliver packages to customers or do they also use their carriers to, let's say, facilitate, uh, you know, uh, transfers of packages from manufacturers to to Amazon's own warehouses? That's a good question. I'm not I'm not sure if Amazon is letting other people use their service. And I I don't think they are just because Amazon also uses other carriers. They use. Right. Right. Uh, UPS a lot, right? UPS right. is their primary, yeah. primary right. partner. Right. And um, there's, uh, it's it's already so hard to work with Amazon. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure people <laughs> go directly to UPS, right? And if, I'm, as a, if I as a fulfillment center don't know that Amazon offers a service to the carrier, I'm sure that a regular business probably doesn't either. Mm. I see. Makes sense. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Okay. Okay. And, 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 and Wally, that brings me to another question, you know, economies of scale. I mean, you know, because you, you said you're a small business at this point, you know, you guys started out recently, you know, unless you scale, you can't get discounts from carriers, right? And in order to scale, you need to have volumes coming in, but then customers won't come to you unless you're giving them, you know, uh, uh, let's say good shipping rates and things like that. So how do you, how do you tackle that problem? It's sort of the chicken and the egg story, right? Yeah, it actually helps us a lot because as we get this is something Bill Gates talked about when he was building Microsoft, right? Really? Yeah. He said that when they, for example, if they build good applications, they'll attract uh-huh. better developers. And as they have more developers, they'll uh-huh. be able to make better apps. And right. they I love that. With us, right? Where as we get more customers, right, we're able to get higher volumes. And the higher volumes we have, we're able mm-hmm. to 
negotiate better rates with the carriers. And once we have better rates, now we attract even more customers. So, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a flywheel. It's it's not a battle. We're just going uphill, right? And <laughs> the, yeah. the aggregated yeah. volume we're able to get from the all of our clients combined, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's, it's way larger than what a business would have on its own shipping 1500 a month, which 100%. puts us in a power to negotiate better rates. And when we pass these on over to the clients, that gives us a competitive edge. Absolutely. I'm very aware of that because, you know, like I said, I used to work for a 3P retailer and this was one of our competitive advantages because we were working with, you know, about 1000 smaller brands and we had them use our UPS, uh, you know, account to ship packages because because we were working with 1000 different brands. We got like 40, 40%, 50% discounts from UPS, whereas those guys, if they worked and, you know, if they had their own accounts, they'd be shipping much smaller volumes. So they simply wouldn't get the same discounts. Exactly. That's the name of the game. Yeah. <laughs> to Walid now. So, so Walid, tell us, you know, today there are other, you know, like you said, there's 200 other prep services and fulfillment centers, et cetera, right? Operating in America. So why should people come to ShipHype? You know, what's your, let's say, what are you, what's the one thing that you're doing better than most other people in this industry? As far as prep centers go, right, we actually are very software focused compared to mm-hmm. a lot of the prep centers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you have a dashboard where you can view your inventory in real time, you know, exactly nice. what's going on. And nice. because a lot of the prep centers are new, right? They haven't really focused on that. And because there is no real need for uh, integration, if you're doing just prep center, like if you're mm-hmm. selling Shopify and uh, Walmart and all of those platforms, then you got to integrate your store, right? But if you yeah. were just doing strictly FBA, then there's no real need to have integration, which mm-hmm. defeats the purpose of the dashboard, but it's still required because, uh, you know, once you get to a certain volume, taking orders on email and phone, it's just not feasible. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. it's not. <laughs> but at the same time, like the other 200 prep centers that do exist, right, they have their own value as well. Because sure. we only have two locations. We have sure. we're in Toronto in Canada and we're in Los Angeles, California, right? So okay. if someone's looking for a warehouse in California, they reach out to us. We're able to help them. But I see. I see. if someone needs a warehouse in New Jersey right? Or let's say Boston. Sure, then, sure. Uh, then we can't really help them. So in this case, we've actually prepared a list of 200 plus prep centers, right? And we share this with our clients and I'd like to share it with your audience as well. Oh, nice. Thank you very much. Because if someone needs a warehouse in Boston, right? Then sure. there's little I can do for them, but we can definitely point them in the right direction. And or or you could launch a 4PL business where you're just sort of <laughs> helping people find, you know, fulfillment centers and maybe making a commission on that. <laughs> Yeah, or maybe when my reindeers come back out, I can have <laughs> Well, Well, this has been really great, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thanks a lot for being on the show today, for absolutely. your honesty. Uh, I learned a lot, uh, I guess. Same here, absolutely. Uh, well, we definitely have to bring you uh, to bring you on again. Uh, well, it, uh, I think the Amazon landscape changed uh, by the minute, so I'm sure we have more stuff to talk about very, very, very soon. Uh, Pat, thank you so much for uh, for uh, for you. being there. Also, thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity, Rafa. Of course, always, <laughs> guys. Make sure you subscribe on your uh, favorite platform to to that IoT Commerce podcast, so you can get notified for every new episode that come out. Uh, see you next time. Bye bye. See you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you.